<clears throat> All right. <laughs> okay. Are you uh, almost ready in there? A lot of a flurry of activity in there. What's going on? All right. Okay. You seem <laughs> you seem a little frantic. I'm the one who has to um, perform here, and I'm calm as a cucumber. You know what does that ever? What does that mean? Calm as a cucumber. <laughs> Where do some of these phrases come from? <laughs> All right. You seem a little more settled now. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm the one that's supposed to be nervous. I'm I'm performing here. You're hitting buttons, but I'm not. Uh, uh, wait, don't, before you even make a face, I am not denigrating your contribution. It's key. You're hitting, you're, you're, if, without you hitting those buttons, this also doesn't work. I understand your importance and your abilities, so please, but. At the end of the day, you know, if anybody should be nervous, it's me. <laughs> that was a backhanded apology, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Reggie. How's that? All right, let's go. Let's sweep all that under the floor. You seem the you're you're ready to go. I'm ready to go. So let's go. I'll give you my uh, my three S's. The countdown. You give me the music. I'll give you your podcast. How about that? All right. All right. Write down the books here. Episode three twenty three. Three twenty three. Ready to go. All right, star, smile, strong, three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. Okay, slow down. Whoa. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> it's got to be tight right after I say it. No, no dead air there. Okay, you know the rules. Here we go. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or what that was, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Reggie, Reggie, Reggie. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. What, what's going on? Is there a reason why it's not hitting right away? Hit the button. Yeah, all right, what's going on? Let's pretend. Let's pretend I'm doing it. Elton Jim Toronto and Captain Podtastic. Okay, what's going on? Once I'll give you, twice, you know, once is a mistake, twice is a trend. All right? Okay, here we go. <laughs> I don't know what to expect here. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. <laughs> Come on, man. What's going on? Hit it again. Okay. What's the, what's the, this is the deal. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. Wait, I, <clears throat> all right. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. Oh, come on. What? All right. Well, whatever it does, we're doing it. All right. If there's dead air there for a second, there's dead air. I don't know why, but do you know why? You hear it, right? Okay. It's not just me. I'm not just trying to be a goofball here, but, you know, it's supposed to be tight. Hit it. Oh, see it? So there is something. There's something going on, right? All right. Well, this is it. Whether there's dead air or not, we're going with it. Three, two, one. 
I've already forgotten the topic. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there, naturally. However, listening to this podcast is not your only responsibility. It's your job to get out there and spread the word. So send a message, send a link to anybody that you know who listens to podcasts on a regular basis and tell them that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs, too. That loyalty, that devotion, that little extra effort, that little extra credit, always, always reaps benefits in some way. And it's much appreciated. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget, you go to WGNRadio.com, you hit the prompt for podcasts, and you hit the prompt for this specific podcast, and my God, It'll be a flood of podcasts awaiting you. You can just keep scrolling down and loading more and loading more and loading more. And in theory, there should be more than 300 in there. Going all the way back to May of 2016. In fact, by last count, we have done 300 and 22, 322 episodes, which only can mean one thing. Welcome to episode 323. It's the same way backwards as it is forwards. <laughs> Just so uh, you know, uh, we had some, you don't hear any of this, I know that, but um, but. We had some technical difficulties, and and if and, and, and maybe it's just my ear. I like a tight board. <laughs> um, no, but um, I uh, if you heard a, a, a small after I did the introduction, and I said uh, you know Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Usually the the music hits boom right on that. There's no, there's no space. There's no, no, as we call dead air in the business. It's just like my words, and then boom, the music hits, and that's what we call a tight board. Everything's tight. There's no, there's no spaces in between. But there was a space there. If you, if you listen close, now to the perhaps to the untrained ear, it didn't sound any different. But to me, it sounded like there was three hours of dead air in there. But just so you know, uh, Reggie, the producer, uh, did not make uh, a mistake. We we actually did four or five of those, you know, before, and it, it just kept doing that. It wasn't it wasn't hitting. For he was hitting the button. I was watching him, and we kept doing it. So finally, I just said, "Look, whatever happens, happens," and and it did. So there must we have to go back after we do this show and, and see what the technical problems are. But um, so just if, if there's any of you radio sticklers out there you might say wow what 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 was the what was the dead air between uh jim's intro and uh, the music playing i don't know we don't know but just so you know we did it several times 
to try to get it right, but there must be a technical problem. And I know that's a lot of inside baseball, but I just, uh, once again, full disclaimer, always like to be honest with you people. I know you don't hear the beginnings of that. You just hear, you know, when I say, hey, you know, there, there, we, there is discussion and stuff that goes on before we actually hit the official button that you hear some backstage stuff but um so just so you know we did we did try several times and it wasn't working <laughs> and the funny thing was that i was actually joking about reggie's contributions and then the and, and then i didn't know if he was doing this on purpose initially at first as a little joke but no something technically went wrong but anyway let's move on it, although now i think about it this um those technical problems that we just had I guess you can call them those. Once again, to the to the normal ear, you're, right now you're probably saying, well, Jim, what are you talking about? You're wasting five minutes talking about something we don't even know or care about. I just want to make sure that you know that wasn't intentional. Anyway, um, but actually my topic today can be somehow connected to technical difficulties if you will and not taking care of them purely coincidental although maybe the radio gods were helping me actually do something thematically that i wasn't even aware of Hmm. i i i I assure you the the little seconds of dead air there was not were not intentional on my side but now that i think about it actually works thematically from what i want to do for this for this podcast uh, it pains me to talk about this, and it pains me to talk about this subject and this person in a negative way, again. And that's that's the key word here. That's the operative word, again. But I have to. I have to. Not only does it, does it affect me, and it's something that I'm interested and care about, but I do think that it needs to be pointed out, even to the general public, even to people that aren't maybe admirers or followers or fans of this person. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it, it needs to be pointed out. And it needs to be properly uh, discussed. And yes, I think, legitimately criticized. And it pains me to do this, because this is one of my longtime favorite performers, entertainers, songwriters, uh, has been in many ways a role model for me. Certainly when I was much younger, and I guess I believed in the mythology that had been created around this performer. And as time has gone on, sadly, um, that mythology has brick by brick been denigrated to some extent not only by his own actions but by his own admission to some extent and i give him credit for that and we'll talk about that but um i'm talking about bruce springsteen who as i said is uh, one of my favorites yes i know my nickname is elton jim and i've been to uh, 200 and so concerts and everybody knows me as the ultimate elton john fan and i certainly am and I, i'm very proud of that but but I'm also a, a huge Bruce Springsteen fan and have been since a young child and have seen Bruce more than 60 times 
uh, in the last 40 years. I haven't missed a tour since 1980. And I have seen Bruce from coast to coast in this country. From California to the New York Island. Literally. Just as the song says. So um, I was very both excited. Well, this is this entire over the last couple of weeks. It's been a it's been a whirlwind of of strange uh, feelings and emotions around Bruce Springsteen. And if you've listened to this podcast, you'll know that I have, as I have said many times, for not just Springsteen or Elton, but anyone, people that you know, artists or or other other people that I admire, I. No one, if if you do, if they do something great, uh, no one will use as many flowery adjectives and sound as over the top in their uh, in their excitement and energy and positivity for them as me. But I also believe that. You can't just think that everybody is perfect and that everything they do is fantastic. Everybody is flawed. Every human being on this planet is flawed. And when it comes to artists, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with pointing out when they make a misstep, whether it's a bad album, whether it's a bad career move, whatever it is. Um, I don't say every song Elton John or Bruce Springsteen has ever written is fantastic or that everything they've done professionally or personally is fantastic. But if I do believe it is great, if I do believe it is something that needs to uh, be praised and, and deserves recognition, as I said before, I will do it with great, great enthusiasm, and I will go overboard, and you're like, oh, my gosh. But at the same time, I will be just as harsh. I will be just as critical if there's something that that someone or something does that I think does not measure up to the standards that that person or that institution has set up. And uh, some fans, some admirers of people, to them that is blasphemy, that is betrayal. Everything they do is fantastic. That's that's their their, their viewpoint. That is not my viewpoint. I, I think that blind... That that kind of blind faith and that kind of blind adulation um, not only is dangerous, and we've seen it get dangerous in in many ways, uh, especially with people in power, any kind of blind faith, any kind of blind adulation uh, is not good. There needs to be a balance. And I think actually by not criticizing and not pointing out flaws in someone or something that you admire um, dehumanizes them. And I think at the end of the day, people, even even the greatest rock star or the greatest actor or the greatest anything, there's no doubt they have, they are narcissists. They are they have huge egos. You have to be uh, to 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 get to that point that some people like you know Bruce Springsteen or Elton John or a presidential candidate or a president. Or an actor, you have to have tremendous confidence. You have to have tremendous drives. You have to be very selfish. You have to you have to be a narcissist. You have to have amazing confidence. And sometimes we look at some of those attributes as negative, and they may be. But to but to succeed at 
at the ultimate levels that some of these people have. You, you, you have to be. Because it's that kind of drive and that kind of single focus and that kind of personal drive and that, that feeling that you are the best uh, is not always nice to be around a person like that, but that's the kind of drive you need. So I understand that. But there are flaws in that. And, uh, and not everything that every artist, whether it's a painter, a musician, uh, or as I said before, you know, a politician, or whatever, actor, whatever you, whoever you look up to. Maybe it's just your, your parents or your boss, right? Anybody, your mentor, whatever you do, whoever you may look up to, it's important that you realize their humanity and their flaws because by, by seeing their flaws when you see, and, and, and recognizing them and admitting to them their flaws, their mistakes, their missteps, if you are a fan, if you are an admirer, admitting those, those, those mistakes and those missteps, those frailties, those, those human imperfections, by admitting that, the, that those people have them, it only, in my view, only raises the admiration you should have for their accomplishments, for what they have done right, to say, wow, amidst all of these flaws, these flaws that, that, that maybe uh, you don't have but are, are, are significant, Despite these flaws that this person has, look at what they were able to achieve on the other side. And to me, it, 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 it elevates those, uh, those flaws. If, you, if you're a perfect person, of which there is no such thing, but if you are a perfect person, well, then you would expect it to achieve great heights, right? Because everything you would do is perfect. So those accomplishments really wouldn't be accomplishments because it would be, it would be your norm if you were perfect. But if you're flawed and you can overcome those flaws and still achieve and still uh, find a level of success and still be original and create something that no one else has done or be the best in your, in your field, despite your flaws as a human, then that, that does deserve admiration and respect and recognition. So I believe if you, by, by admitting that whoever your idols may be in whatever profession or world they are, whether they're famous or they're everyday people, whoever you look up to as a role model or a quote-unquote idol, whoever you res- admire, whoever you are a fan of, it's just as important to recognize and admit to that person's faults as it is to recognize and respect and exalt and get excited over their accomplishments because they are all of those things. And as I said before, I believe that if a, if a deeply flawed person can rise above those flaws as opposed to blame them for not rising, but if they can have those flaws which we all have, and, and go on to achieve great things that are worthy of respect and admiration and great success and fame and fortune, whatever comes with it, then those accomplishments 
are even more impressive and they and that person should be looked up to in spite of their flaws but i believe that their flaws should be pointed out regardless and and sadly i, I over the last several years uh, it's becoming kind of a regular thing now i've had to to point out some severe flaws concerning bruce springsteen and that's that's it's sort of a new <laughs> phenomenon because Bruce Springsteen from when he first became a national figure in the music business in the in the mid 70s especially with uh in 1975 where he really became a national figure music figure uh with his Born to Run album which put him in the same week which at the time was unheard of and unprecedented. But on this, in the same week, and this is back when magazines were actually popular and actually held some, some real significance and sway and importance in our world, printed magazines, which, <laughs> which now are almost relics. Yes, you can still find magazines, but in terms of their impact and their influence, and uh, and their sway on uh, on public opinion, uh, it is much much less than it than it was thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago. But Bruce Springsteen, with the uh, release of Born to Run, was on simultaneously on the covers of both Time and Newsweek, and that was unheard of at the time. No one had done that. And at that time, Bruce Springsteen was a relatively unknown person. Now, Time and Newsweek used to put, you know, going back in its history, used to put, you know, Adolf Hitler and, and FDR and, and uh, you know, astronauts and, and major political figures and, and people that had, you know, had, had really had significant impact and influence on the world, negative or positive. I mean, to get on the time, on the cover of Time or Newsweek, you had to be at that point, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, you had to really have done something of significance because the, you know, as we all know on a magazine cover, it's the, it's the face, it's the subject that sells the magazine. What's inside certainly can help, but it's that visual that you see that draws you to perhaps in that headline that draws you to buy that magazine. So the editors of the magazine, whoever they put on their cover, it is, it is, there is great debate. Uh, there is great um, thought uh, that goes on because, and it's, and it's mostly about circulation and monetary as well as the social significance especially if your magazine has some some sand some standing at least in the past as i said certainly you know magazines like time and newsweek and life and look and some of these other things uh, you know had great and even in music rolling stone uh had had great power to perhaps you know shift public opinion those days are gone but it certainly helped what 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 a magazine, at least in the past, and sometime today, like I said, although the the influence is much less, but still, the who goes on the cover is is very important if you're the editor of a magazine. 
Yeah, it helps to define who you are, who, why you would put that person on it, as well as playing into news of the day or accomplishments of the day, negatively or positively, as I said, whether it's Hitler or FDR or, or Ronald Reagan or Barack Obama, whoever you want to talk about. Um, you know. So Bruce Springsteen was put on the cover as a relative unknown to the rest of the world. Very, very popular as a cult figure, especially huge on the Northeast where he had uh, established himself as, a, as a, one of the great um, live acts. But on record, his first two albums really didn't sell anything. And then Born to Run came out and, uh, and just turned people's ear. And both Time and Newsweek were battling each other as who was going to be the first ones to be to to feature this potential rock star of the future you know especially don't forget in the mid 70s uh, the pop culture world the music world was still looking for a successor to the beatles beatles broke up in 1970 and um while there were a lot of popular artists that you can argue elton john certainly was one of the more popular artists uh, right after the Beatles broke up. That's where your song came out in 1970, almost on the same date that the Beatles broke up. And so Elton had hit huge uh, popularity right after the Beatles broke up, and, and he was breaking all kinds of records on the charts and, and had that kind of Beatles-like fame. But what he didn't have was the critical um, respect. He had the popular respect of the people and the record buyers, and the people, they've always loved Elton John, but the critics always didn't, weren't always uh, fans of Elton. So he, they, 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 he didn't fit the mold for the, the successors to the Beatles. Um, but Bruce Springsteen certainly had critical acclaim as well as popular acclaim in the, in, in the Northeast. And don't forget, that's where both Time and Newsweek were printed, so they were feeling more of the Bruce Springsteen excitement um, for for a few years before that, before maybe the rest of the country was. But regardless, my point is that Bruce has had a, 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 a from almost the beginning of his national uh, introduction, his national exposure, has had a honeymoon with the media. They have been his his greatest supporters and allies and have helped push him along and he knows that and it's no surprise that his longtime manager john landau was a member of the media he was a respected and noted writer music writer for rolling stone and other publications so john landau knows the landscape of the way the media and the especially the print media works having worked in it and succeeded in it and and risen to a a high level of respect within it. But he also knows how it works and how to work it. And up to several years, he was very masterful at it and helped Bruce Springsteen's build the Bruce Springsteen mythology of the working-class hero, the blue-collar grunt, the modern-day Woody Guthrie, the rock folk singer singing for the, the little man. Uh, there, you, cannot, you cannot underestimate 
the influence that John Landau had on Bruce Springsteen. And many of the things that Bruce Springsteen has become, I believe, have been due to the direct influence and direction of John Landau. I think John Landau felt like we needed a new Woody Guthrie, and I think in Bruce Springsteen he saw the potential for that. And it's not to say that Bruce uh, wasn't or isn't legitimate, but I think that John Landau had a great influence in exposing Bruce to Woody Guthrie in a more serious way. And don't forget, Bruce Springsteen was a fan of, of Bob Dylan long before he met John Landau. And, of course, Bob Dylan was greatly influenced by Woody Guthrie. So I'm not just saying that that John Landau force-fed uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen early in his life or early in his career, Woody Guthrie, in order to to for Bruce to become a, a modern-day Woody Guthrie. I'm not saying that. Bruce was probably influenced by Bob Dylan to discover Woody Guthrie, or maybe he discovered Woody Guthrie on his own. But there's no doubt that John Landau certainly validated that and enhanced that in Bruce Springsteen. And maybe that was always in Bruce Springsteen, and maybe John Landau just found a way to unearth it. But uh, but John Landau had has done, up until the last several years, a very masterful job of, of creating a mythology around Bruce Springsteen and maintaining that mythology. And it was a mythology. And Bruce Springsteen um, fed into it and and played into it and um and yes he <laughs> he succeeded because of it and as time went on we saw that it was a mythology but once again um the media played a role in that too they they supported it and they continued that mythology going because many people in the media, especially the music media, were Bruce Springsteen fans. And so they enjoyed seeing and rooting for Bruce Springsteen before he became a household name and even afterward. And he has been protected by the media in many ways. The mythology of Bruce Springsteen, um, let's use 1975 on the, on the covers of Time and Newsweek as the beginning of it. Um, that mythology was was written then, and it lasted almost ten years till about nineteen eighty four and nineteen eighty well about nineteen eighty five and then Bruce Springsteen began to um, make some public missteps that he hadn't done before because he was shielded from the media he was this cult figure and so they were able to keep a lot of what bruce springsteen did on, on his personal side out of the media and it was more music focused all about bruce springsteen and it was and they were able to keep the, the the lid on that and just because he would release albums every couple of years and then 
uh, these albums would be would have great discussion about them and and what they meant and the themes and what he was talking about. It was all music based. It was all music based. Everything about Bruce Springsteen was music based from 1975 up through the beginning uh, in the in the early days of Born in the USA in 1984. It was always music based. He was a very shadowy figure in the public eye. It was just always about music. You you heard very little about his personal life. And even some biographies are written about him were written within the prism of the mythology, written by 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 rock journalists who were uh, who were great supporters and friends of his, and even in the inner circle. So there was a lot of behind the scenes um, work there to create and uh, to establish and to sustain and to elevate this mythology of uh, this this prisoner of rock and roll, this working class hero who who just lived, who was who was a, who was the one legitimate nice guy who who only cared about the music. Who lived for the music? Who who lived for all the the attributes that rock and roll delivered—the power and the liberation and the freedom and the dissent and the protest—all these things, the angst and the anger and the jubilation, the triumph. Bruce Springsteen, the, the mythology was that he personified all of the rock and roll attributes. And I think that mythology was was helped created by John Landau and and many others in Bruce's inner circle in the media, and they were able to to sustain it for a long time. But then something happened. Bruce Springsteen became more than a cult artist. He became he be he became a worldwide superstar and that was all the difference they could no longer control what was said about him they could no longer keep that going because now other areas of the media mostly it was it was it was the music media that that bought into the mythology and and perpetuated it, and every so often there would be a a national story about him, and they would continue because whoever wrote that was a fan, and that's how they got the story printed, and they perpetuated the mythology. But with the amazing uh, popularity of Born in the USA in 1984, they couldn't they couldn't do it anymore because now the tabloids who didn't care about the music or the or the mythology that Bruce Springsteen could sell papers, and so all now segments of the media were interested in Bruce Springsteen, and some had noble motivations, and some didn't. Some were looking was looking for the dirt. Oh wait, wait a minute! Here's this squeaky clean guy. Well, he let's let's find the dirt on him. That was that's the job of the tabloids, right? the uh, the sexy uh, underbelly of of stardom that's what sells papers in the tabloids and bruce springsteen sadly unfortunately gave them something to run with after years of being held up with a, a high moral ground and as i said before 
uh, you know, the, 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 the perfect rock star who embodied everything great about rock and roll and who was this uh, rock and roll patriot as they were then uh, making him out to be in 1984 with Born in the USA, which was literally a protest song. The chant Born in the USA was, was meant to be an angry message that, hey, I was born in the USA. What are you screwing me around for? It's about a Vietnam vet. I was born in the USA, and you're screwing me around. I'm getting screwed here by the VA, by the people when I come home. Born in the USA was not a triumphant, triumphant anthem of being proud it was, a, it was a pride, but it was an angry pride. But that is not the way that the media took it. That's not the way the fans took it. And, and while the song was corrupted, it was helping to sell 15 million copies around the world, and Bruce Springsteen never really stopped that from happening. He went with it. In 1984, 1985, when he ran around the world especially, he opened up his shows with a huge American flag that connoted patriotism, and people were in the audience with their fists in jubilation, put their fists up to uh, born in the USA. I was born in the USA like it was a positive. That's not what the song really is about. And it wasn't until after Bruce sold the 15 million copies that then he decided to say, well, you know, this song has been misappropriated. And it's really a protest song. Well, it's easy to do that after you've sold the 15 million copies and you've, you've, you know, you, you've conquered the world with concert tickets and you've probably put a couple of hundred million dollars in your bank account. Then it's easy then to say, oh, by the way, uh, that wasn't what I really meant. But while you were selling that, supposed false message uh you knew the real message but you didn't stop the false message because it was selling so for me as a as a longtime springsteen fan that was the first kind of uh dent in the armor was that he wasn't being honest that he was being kind of hypocritical he wasn't telling everyone, no, this is not a song of jubilation and of triumph and of patriotism. This is a song against the government. This is a song, this is a this is a song of desperation, not of triumph. It's a song of anger. It's a protest song. Hey, I was born in the USA. What do you treat me like crap for? That's what that's what born in the USA is all about. But you couldn't tell that if you watched one of his concerts from 1984, 1985 especially, and especially around the world when he went to different countries around the world. As I said before, the show started with a huge American flag behind him and the fists raising, I was born in the USA. Now, if you wanted to really send the message of what he was really saying, you can open up the concert with a huge uh, picture of, uh, of a flag and in the middle of it, you can you can have it crack or rip. And people might go, whoa, what, well, wait a minute, what's that about? And then you could explain it, that there's something wrong with that flag. 
There's something wrong with the patriotism. And that's what this song is about. But he didn't do that because he rode the wave of that patriotism. Because don't forget, 1984 was an election year. So we already had patriotism on our minds. This American USA is never more patriotic than every four years. When election time comes, all those nostalgic, sentimental, hyperbolic uh, views of patriotism come spewing out. And it was the perfect storm. And that's what this that's what huge success is really all about. It's timing. And Bruce Springsteen hit the jackpot with perfect timing. He could have told the truth at that time. It may have hurt him with record sales and concert sales. He would have retained his credibility, but he would have lost out on a lot of money and fame. And he chose the money and the fame over the integrity. For me, that was the first time he did that. And sadly, it's not the last. The next time wasn't soon after that, in 1985, 1986. He got married, and while he was on tour in 1987, now a a huge star, selling millions of records, selling out all his concerts. He got married. And then in 1987, though it's again, he put himself out there. He, you know, he, he was now in a media world that, that his handlers could no longer control. They controlled the story, the mythology, for a good 10, 12 years, but then they couldn't anymore. And that's when... More chinks in the armor, uh, you know, dents in the armor became evident. And this one was on the personal side. Bruce Springsteen was always was always portrayed as having this great. Not only was this was he the voice of the blue collar working man, the working man hero, right, singing songs about how tough it was to get by, and cars, and girls, and working in a factory, and and living in a lower middle class area and things like that my hometown but now he was a international superstar and what he did made headlines for everyone not just those publications or those media outlets that liked him but for ones who were just trying to sell some papers and bruce springsteen got caught fooling around while he was married with his backup singer on the balcony during his tour in Rome. And there was a photo of him and Patty Scalfa on the, and from his room in Rome in their underwear. And Bruce <laughs> uh, had to deal with the realities that he was called out for adultery and he, was, and he divorced soon afterward. And he never really, truly discussed it. The media, of course, had to report on it. But what, what, where Bruce Springsteen has always continued to be um, protected by the media is that they have, they have 
done their due diligence in many ways. They have reported stories on his failures, on his personal foibles, as well as his professional failures. But they've never, so they've done their their duty, but they haven't gone the next step as they do with other targets, people that they really want to destroy. They never do the follow-up. They report the they report the news as they are um, obligated to do, and then they let the story just fade away instead of keeping the story alive by continually writing about it and reporting on it and digging deeper about it. The Bruce Springsteen infidelity was covered in the tabloids. It was it was covered in mainstream media. And then it was allowed to just fade away and other stories filled the void. And we knew that Bruce Springsteen fooled around on his wife, but we didn't find out any of the details. We didn't find anything else. We found then, then you know, a year later or so, we, we, we learned that he was divorced. And then there was, you know, a gag order on all that. And we didn't hear anything about that. And his ex-wife has never talked about it. And he's never really talked about it. He's made little references to, to it uh, in vague ways and songs, but never really came out and talked about it in a purely honest way, which seemed contradictory to this mythology of him being Mr. Honest, Mr. Straight Up, Mr. High Moral Ground. Well, he certainly proved that he was human there, and he certainly proved that he did not live in the high moral moral ground by cheating on his wife. Now, people cheat on their spouses. Once again, that's human. But if you're going to set yourself up to being superhuman, to, to being a role model of high moral ground, then you have now a higher standard that you have to live up to. And so when you fail, as you will as a human, you should admit to those failures because they are more drastic and, and, and more and bigger because you have set yourself up that you don't have those human frailties. That was the mythology. Bruce Springsteen, you know, was was better than the average rock star, was better than the average person. And as time has gone on, we have found out that, no, like everyone else, he is, he is flawed, seriously flawed, more than we ever, we ever even imagined. But that was another moment where Bruce proved himself to be human and also proved to be less than than open about it, that you would have expected him to to more, you know, because we always were hearing how his music, you know, he spoke the truth and he, you know, he played on on human experience. And here was certainly a, 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 an area that would seem to be ripe for a song. And he played around with it, but he never really explained any of it in interviews or anything else. He just, he knew that, he knew his fans, especially his diehard fans, he has a, is a huge, a huge and, and amazingly <laughs> loyal fan base that looks, they look past his foibles. They, they, they give an excuse to, to constantly overlook or forgive what he's done and just move on and that's a rare thing but once again they're able to do that because 
the media has also played a role in that. They haven't pushed the issue. They've done their job on the lowest possible level. They reported the news and then they stopped reporting it. They didn't keep stories alive. Look at, look at, I mean, for instance, I mean, I'm not equating the two, but my point is January 6th, you know, are we having these committee meetings now? I mean, it's 2022. You know, January 6th happened in, you know, almost, you know, two, you know, almost a year and a half, two years ago. Almost three years ago. We're still talking about it like it was yesterday. That's what what the media can do if they want to keep a story alive. And there's other things that have happened that were controversial and you don't hear about them anymore because the media chose not to talk about them at all. Bruce Springsteen has certainly benefited from that media uh, obsession with him. And they've, they've looked out for him. But as I said, as the years have gone by, um, more and more things have happened. And as a fan, as I said, I, I have to, I look at them and I have to call them out. And uh, it seems that, uh, but at the same time, I should tell you that I still am a Bruce Springsteen fan. I consider myself a huge fan of his music and his art. And there are there are and, and 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 I still accept his flaws. So I still I am still a fan of his personally for for what he has done. I still it's, he's not he's not a devil. He's not a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. But I you you have to balance the entire picture. So I can still I can still appreciate and and look up to him for for the good stuff that he's done as a personal person. But then I also have to call out. When and I, I can't give him a pass. I have to call him out on these things. When he has stumbled, and he has stumbled. Now the latest stumble, if you haven't heard about it, was with great excitement for the first tour since 2017 with the E Street Band. Now at age 72, he'll be seven, almost 73 when the tour starts. Oh, he'll be 72 uh, in September. No, he'll be, I'm sorry, he'll be 73 in September. What am I saying? He's already 72. He'll be 73 when the tour starts. He's got a birthday in a couple of months. Um, but he hasn't toured with the E Street Band since 2017. He's He did a... Um, a very successful solo show on Broadway in 2018 and then brought it back uh, last summer in 2021 for a short time. But it, but touring with the E Street Band, I mean, that's, that, that is Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band. Now you can argue that it really isn't the E Street Band. Um, two of its major members, Danny Federici and, of course, Clarence Clemens, have both passed away, so you can argue whether it's truly the E Street Band anymore, but for marketing purposes, it is. And for ticket sales, it is. Whenever Bruce Springsteen has had a major tour, and he has had a few of those, where he has not had the E Street Band with him, they have sold poorly. In the early 90s, he toured with another touring band, 
and the tour sold well, but it was there, but it's always kind of viewed as a lesser tour. And then he put out, he, he toured with a sort of a folkish band, the Sessions Band, which fans may have liked, but there were half empty seats for that tour. So Bruce Springsteen knows that when he needs to sell out, when he needs to when he when, when he wants to fill auditoriums from now on, whether it be stadiums or arenas, it has to be Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, whatever incarnation that is. And there's still a good number of original E Street Band members around, but obviously Clarence Clemens, his loss is huge, but the name E Street Band is too valuable from a marketing and a ticket sales standpoint to ever let die. And Bruce Springsteen plays it up, the legendary E Street Band. And yes, um, you think about those past performers, but they're not there anymore. So, you know, but hey, what what the heck, right? The Who is the Who, and two of their members have been are dead, and the Rolling Stones are the Rolling Stones, and a couple of members of theirs have been dead. Charlie Watts just dying a few years, a few months ago. But anyway, so the announcement comes that after COVID and all this waiting and delays, he put an album out in in uh, late 2020. Still hasn't you know played that for the for his fans on on tour because of COVID. So finally, in 2023, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are coming back on tour, and it's going to be a a long marathon tour that most likely is going to cover the whole world and last a, more than a year and a half, and come start in the United States and go to Europe and come back to the United States and probably go back to Australia and then come back to the United States. It's going to be one of those long marathon tours that Bruce always does, usually on the road for 15, 17 months. And he promised it was going to be a rock and roll show because it's been a long time when the world needs rock and roll and the world needs the E Street Band and all the slogans and all the excitement were there in the announcement. And the... Initial dates were announced. First, the European dates in mid-2023 were announced. And just a few weeks ago, finally, the initial U.S. dates were announced that will start the tour in February of 2023. And so there was great excitement in in Bruce Springsteen world, in boss land, because we had not seen... Bruce and the E Street Band in 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 full glory since 2017. So by the time they hit the road, that would be six years, the longest easily that Bruce and the E Street Band were away from the road. So great expectation, great pent-up excitement to see Bruce, even at that time he'll be 73 years old, but uh, you know, Bruce's rock and roll is is timeless and ageless, and he seems to defy age. He looks like he's in great shape. And uh, so the great demand, great expectation in the in 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 Bruce Springsteen's, as I said before, his loyal legion of fans. I mean, I've seen Bruce Springsteen sixty times, and that's not even impressive in in Bruce's within Bruce real diehard Bruce fans. And even my two hundred concerts with Elton is not even that impressive in Bruce's land with some fans they have they literally follow him like the grateful dead they go to multiple shows in multiple cities not just in the same city they travel from show to show from region to region from 
uh, on the same tour, just constantly following him. The the uh, loyalty is is unprecedented. And so in that context, when the tickets were going to go on sale for this tour, you can almost you you can you even even you didn't have to be a business you didn't even have to know anything about Bruce Springsteen to know that the demand is going to be huge. Now, if you were in Bruce Springsteen's management, led by John Landau, who I mentioned earlier, and if you were involved with the promoters in the business, if you were Ticketmaster, who's selling most of the tickets, you know that the demand for these tickets are going to be unprecedented. Most all other baby boomer legacy bands have all gone out on tour since COVID. They've come back. Elton John, Billy Joel, the Rolling Stones, the Who. All of these major legacy bands from the 60s, Paul McCartney, they've all gone out again. And so Bruce has been waiting, and now it's Bruce's turn. So, my gosh, this is the one everybody was waiting for. And, you know, since 2008, when uh, when he was embraced by President Barack Obama and he played at the inauguration, he played This Land is Your Land, and he was given the Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama. He was given the the Kennedy City Honors, of which the president is there for. Um, he's become the rock and roll uh, laureate of the United States now. He is, he is, his, 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 his image and his reputation have been elevated to, to the, the heights of Mark Twain and Robert Frost and, and past Woody Guthrie. I mean, we're talking about now he's in this upper echelon when you're embraced by the president of the United States to play at inaugurations and play at the White House. And, and now they've done a podcast and, and wrote books together with Barack Obama. So Bruce Springsteen now is America's poet. As I said before, he's like Robert Frost. He's more than a rock star. He's the voice of America. That's, you know, he's, 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 he's reaching Mount Rushmore kind of fame. He's been elevated more than just a rock star. Now he's, he's America's, uh, you know, contribution to the world spreading the American ideals of patriotism and protest. You name it. And he's also made a heck of a lot of money in the in the <laughs> in the meantime, recently selling his his entire catalog for five hundred million dollars. That's a half a billion dollars, folks. In addition to the probably two or three hundred million he already had in the bank so he's far from the working class hero that he started out as 50 years ago and sadly i think that has influenced many of his decisions his his dwi a couple of years ago happened in november it wasn't for a whistleblower in February, right after the Super Bowl, after he, after years of saying he would never do a commercial, he'd never sell his music or sell his image. 
and 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 uh, to 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 sell a product. He would once again this high moral ground. I am not for sale. Well, suddenly he was for sale. Never told how much he made for this Jeep commercial, but it, he finally took the payday and did a commercial for Jeep. They've been after him for more than ten years to do a commercial for them. And he finally said yes. I'm sure he got an amazing payday, especially for a Super Bowl commercial. And he did it for Jeep. And then a few days later, it was exposed that two months before he had was arrested, not just pulled over, but arrested for a DWI. Happened in November, and this news came out in February. Well, why didn't we hear about it in November? Why didn't the, why didn't the local press in, the, in, in New Jersey know about this and if they did why didn't they talk about it why didn't we see a mugshot of bruce springsteen bruce springsteen was arrested that means there's a mugshot taken we see mugshots of of other celebrities that have been arrested for dui or other things don't we see those online we still haven't seen bruce springsteen's mugshot why not who has it and why isn't it released this is what i'm saying about the media they reported about the dwi but they didn't go into great detail they didn't, they didn't show us his, his mugshot. I bet he didn't look good. There's a lot of uh, controversy over, the, of, over what happened that night, a lot of different stories. At the end of the day, he was given a small fine, and we moved on. The press reported the story, but never dug deep. He was still being... Even in this case, he was still being taken care of by the media. They did their obligation, but they didn't go as far as they could have, that's for sure. I called him out then as being a hypocrite for not coming and not, he never has made a, a public, a true public statement about it. He's made references to it, but never talked about what happened that night. Never told his version. He just let it fade away. And the media let it fade away with him. And many of his fans let it. And, and even though he got arrested for it and he was fine, they still, over, they still overlooked it. Bruce Springsteen, for, for so many of his fans, could do no wrong. They will defend him till the end. Until the last couple of weeks. And it will be very interesting to see now what happens Bruce Springsteen's fans have have seen the hypocrisies, have seen the human foibles, and in every case, whether it was the adultery, whether it was uh, the the selling out to do a commercial, whether it was covering up or never coming coming up, uh, you know, you know, with any kind of statement about the DWI, they overlooked it all. Bruce is the best. Bruce, 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 Bruce. They never came out against their hero. This is what I'm saying about blind faith. It will come back to haunt you and it will depress and disappoint you because every human being is flawed. And yes, even Bruce Springsteen. And those of us who are big fans of his who could still point out and recognize and call him out for those flaws, I knew in the back of my mind there was going to be one that was going to really, that one that the fans could not, totally forgive and it's finally happened in the last couple of weeks 
So here we are, waiting for the announcement of when the tick. Waiting first of all, they delayed the announcement of the the American dates. They announced a tour about a month or so ago, but they didn't announce the American dates. They announced the and the tickets went on sale for the European dates, but not the American dates. You know, create this suspense, create this anticipation. Show the way these tickets are being sold across, selling out and adding shows all across Europe, just driving the U.S. fans even more crazy, wetting their appetites. Oh, my God, Bruce, I mean, now the rest of the world has got their tickets and I don't have my tickets. Oh, my God, I got to go to my Bruce Springsteen concert. Come on, Bruce. Announce these shows. Put these tickets on sale. Make my life worth living again. It's been six years. It'll be six years since I've seen you perform in concert with the E Street Band. Come on! And so finally, he releases the dates. And I was a little mad because Chicago, where I live, is a a huge base of Bruce Springsteen fans, among the most loyal and most knowledgeable, and he skips Chicago. So that would have been my first complaint. But what happened after that, that, that the fact that he, that he, that he skipped Chicago turns out to be nothing actually it might have saved me some money <laughs> because what a fiasco this was they built up all of this anticipation and 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 and, and pent-up frustration of not seeing bruce for so long and seeing the 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 the, the tickets selling out all across the the world in, in europe where these other shows have been announced and tickets went on sale and so now it's time finally to sell these tickets. Now, don't forget, this is July. These shows will not happen until February at the earliest and into March and April. Six, seven months. The show's in March and April. Eight months away, people will have their will, will, will be waiting, even though they'll have their tickets. They'll have to wait eight months to see a concert. But who cares? And Bruce Springsteen fans... You know, they, 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 when, once those shows go on sale, oh my gosh, I mean, acquiring these tickets, that's a job in itself. As I said before, majority, there's so many diehard fans that, that follow him. They go from show to show, city to city, and they're always get the best seats right in the front around those, those, those side sections there to see Bruce and he recognizes them. And that's whole part of the experience. And I know how that feels. Because I've done that with Elton. I've sat that close for Bruce several times. So I know what it's like. I've felt that anxiety and that pressure and that frustration to get those tickets. I wouldn't put myself in the, in the, in the group that, that, that goes, uh, travels with him like in a band across the country. But I've certainly seen him in different, you know, several shows around the country at different times. So I know what it's like. I might not be as fanatical in that respect, but I've certainly, I think, earned some stripes. And so, yes, I was looking to see at some of the cities around me, like Milwaukee or Cleveland or Detroit, perhaps I would go to see because he skipped Chicago. And the tickets finally went on sale, and they and 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 you had to go through hoops you, with Ticketmaster. You had to be verified because. Bruce Springsteen's tickets um, historically have been scalped to by, you know, he's one of the most, you know, his tickets are 
or on the secondary market by brokers or whatever, you know, sold for for two or three times their face value. He's he's probably lost, you know, tens of millions of dollars. No question about that. But he's also made almost a billion, right? But so here we are, and it's time to get the tickets finally in some of the, the first cities where the tickets went on sale. And all of a sudden, there's this process called dynamic pricing, which has been in place now for a couple of years. And it's been Ticketmaster's way to try to put the secondary market or the ticket brokers out of business, your stub hubs and, and other things like that, you know, to, to not let them be making two or three times, but let the artist and the promoter and the you know, ticket master make the money. And the whole idea of dynamic pricing is to sell tickets at their face value of what the market will accept. It's capitalism at its best. If a front row seat, if someone's paying, if somebody's worth, if somebody's, you know, willing to pay $3,000 for a front row seat, even though the ticket price is 300 then why should StubHub or a secondary market or someone who buys the ticket for three, why should they get 3000 Why should they make 10, 10 times the profit? Why doesn't Bruce get it? He's performing the show. If someone's going to pay the $3,000 for that, why shouldn't Bruce get it? Why should somebody else get it? That's the process. What happens is is an algorithm, a computer algorithm, that as the tickets are selling, those tickets that are at all these concerts, the, the tickets that are in most demand, those prices begin to fluctuate and go up. And some Bruce Springsteen fans, especially those ones who will travel around the country to see him, who will see multiple shows, who will be spending money and time, who will be spending money on, on transportation, whether it's trains or buses or planes, or especially in today's world, gas and, and, and in hotels. And all of a sudden, they were going online and seeing that these $300 seats or these $200 seats were now going to cost 5000 They've paid two or three times, but not 10 times. And what if you wanted to go to five or 10 shows? Could Who, who in especially in this world of inflation today, Bruce's, the working man, doesn't he care about the working man's blues, that the working man is in the highest inflation we've had in, in, in 40 years? 9.1 inflation rate, highest in 40 years, and he's going to be charging his fans his his blue collar working class fans $5000 a ticket if they wanted to go to 10 shows that would be $50000 just for tickets how does he care about his fans he's always talked about how it's a community and he and they're all in this together and they're having a conversation it's always been this 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 uh this bond between Bruce and his audience and now at age 72 or 73, he is going for the bucks. Is he somehow trying to make up for all the money he's lost? Look, you know, everybody always likes to count other people's money. We all do that. But isn't there a point? You just sold your, your, um, your money catalog, your, your music catalog for $500 million. You've, you've, you've got hundreds of millions in the bank and and now for this tour that everybody wants to see you and you've been talking up and there's all this pent-up excitement for it 
and you're and you're charging people five thousand dollars a seat now yes as demand goes down those prices can go down but they're still going to go down to maybe half of that 2500 a seat and don't forget these are just regular tickets these are not vip experiences these tickets are not going to come with uh, special parking and special tour merchandise and um and uh and 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 a hospitality room of you know and, and a backstage tour or something like that which many bands do charge a couple of thousand dollars for along with in addition to a tenth you know a seat in the tenth row or in the first ten rows for two or three thousand dollars but at least they're trying to give you uh, you know, value added. These are just regular tickets. You just get the ticket. You come in like you did. $5,000 a seat. And so while this was happening, the fans were going out of their minds and, of course, in the social media world, going crazy and saying, what's going on here? Look at this. They're getting, they're getting uh, screenshots of what they were seeing on the Ticketmaster site, $5,700 for tickets, not even the front row. These were on side sections. On the side of the stage, middle to the back of the of the of the uh, the, the main floor, four thousand, three thousand. As I said, side sections going for five thousand dollars. These are not front row seats. And after a week of silence from Bruce Springsteen himself, once again, just like he 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 never made a statement about his his DWI. Never admitted it happened in November. Didn't admit it when it finally was was uh, was released four, three months later. Still never talked. Still hasn't talked about it in any detail. Two years later. And now he's betraying those fans, these people that have been with him for 50 years, who he has professed to care about. And and be and have been in this in this in this this emotional relationship with, and they've bought the records, and they've bought the tickets, and they've bought the T-shirts, and they've they've bought the mythology. And Bruce betrayed them so much so that even his most loyal fan magazine called Backstreets, which now has is, is more or less a, a website. Backstreets.com, that everything Bruce does is fantastic. He, 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 he does no wrong, according to Backstreets.com. No wrong. They always find a way to put a positive spin on it. They've almost, been, they've almost become, in the last several years, a mouthpiece for his management. But even Backstreets, and I was so proud after years... And I've written for Backstreet's magazine. And I was very disappointed at how they had sort of become a little too cozy and almost became, as I said, a mouthpiece and spun everything positive that Bruce had done and, and, and kept quiet when he made mistakes like the DWI and things like that or certainly didn't, didn't press any issues because they might hurt the relationship they had because they'd gotten new access in terms of, of uh, you know, interviews and access to Bruce so they they weren't but this one was the great divider this is the one where where the fans finally had to say wait a minute I knew it was coming I personally knew it was coming I didn't know what form it would take I've been trying to tell Bruce fans for many years that you have to stop putting him on a pedestal because 
he's proven that he that no one can stay up on that pedestal and he has betrayed that image and they still didn't want to believe it but this time they had to because this one this time it cut to the core this was their pocketbook and their relationship with Bruce And they felt betrayed. Even Backstreet said, this is what we mean about a crisis in faith. Is this, are we really one with him? They were questioning Bruce Springsteen at the core of what has been the the, the uniting factor is his care and his relationship with his fans and these ridiculous ticket prices and let's say he didn't know that they were going to get that high it's ridiculous first of all it's ridiculous to think that because we knew they were building they purposely built the furor and a frenzy for these tickets so everybody involved who was selling these tickets from bruce and Ticketmaster and the promoters they all knew that the demand would be great so it's to 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 to, to say ignorance is ridiculous but let's just say they didn't understand all the tech things that bound this algorithm that was going to raise the prices at the very least Somebody in the management or somebody should have said, you know, you know, there could, you know, and just so you know, someone should have raised their hand, played devil's advocate, but nobody wants to be the pin that pops a button. And I've said that many times. Everybody just goes along with the program and then they wind up getting buried. But somebody with some guts should have raised their hand and said, just so you know, these tickets could go up to five or six thousand dollars, three or four or five, just so you know that. And you might get some backlash. So then, then Bruce could have said, well, okay, and his management could have said, well, if that happens, then we're just going to say, well, okay, well, they, they can't go over $1,500, or they can't go over $2,000, whatever, whatever number that they decided on. But they let it go to wherever they'll go, and they, and they saw how high it went, and they didn't stop it. Even if they, so without, without a, a pre-existing cap on it, they didn't expect that to do it, even though I think they should have. But when they were seeing what was happening that day, when the tickets went on sale and these tickets were going 5000 they should have put an end to ticket sales and said, whoa, wait a minute. We had no idea this was going to happen. We're going to go back and reassess because, fans, we care about you. You have cared about us, and we care about you. That's all they needed to say. That's all they needed to do. But they didn't. Springsteen didn't say anything. John Landau didn't say anything. Ticketmaster didn't say anything for almost a week. And when Ticketmaster finally did come out, their weak explanation was, well, you know, only about 11% of the tickets went for those other prices. And, you know, 89% of the tickets went for face value or even lower. Yeah, the horrible seats. We're talking about the diehard fans, the ones who have traveled, the ones who have bought everything with the name Bruce Springsteen on it, the ones who have been there with you for 50 years, who want to sit close, who want to feel that communion with you in concert, who you recognize by face, who travel around the country. Those 11% of the, those tickets, those are the ones that, that the, your most loyal and diehard fans, the ones who have forgiven all your foibles, who've forgiven all your failures, that's where they sit. And those are the people you should be taking care of. Not the casual fans who say, you know what, I never saw Bruce Springsteen, but I'll sit in section 500. Great, and do that. But the diehards, the ones who travel, who get in their cars, who go to airports, who stay in fleabag hotels, who travel city to city, they 
are the ones who are interested in those 11% tickets because those are the best seats in the house. And that's the ones that they want. And those are the people you need to care about. So Ticketmaster, that was a BS response. Because those are, that, that 11% may sound good, but those are the, because they're the best seats. What you're basically telling me is that in, a, in, a, in an arena of 15,000 or 20,000, there's only about 11% of really good seats. The rest of the seats are pretty bad. Because every Bruce Springsteen fan worth his medal wants to sit in those 11% of the seats that are close to the stage to feel the power, to feel the connection that Bruce continually professes. This was a huge betrayal to those people, the most loyal fans. And then we get this feeble excuse from Pickenmaster, and then still nothing from Springsteen, and still nothing from John Landau, his management team. And then finally John Landau comes out a few days ago. And all he says is, we have did we've done what our peers with our with our with what our peers have done other you know Paul McCartney and other bands have done this so we are simply doing what our peers have done wrong because you set up the mythology John Landau you set up the mythology Bruce Springsteen that Bruce Springsteen was not just your average fan or your average rock star he should not do what his peers do because he has a higher moral ground. He has a he has a more connection with his fans. He's the legitimate thing. You've sold him as being above the fray since he started in 1975. But now you're now you conveniently say, well, we're just doing what everybody else did. But for 50 years you've been saying how Bruce Springsteen is not what everybody else was. That he was different and better and special. You can't have it both ways. And Bruce Springsteen himself, still silent on it as of now as I record this. Huge, huge betrayal. Does it sound like I'm a little pissed? (laughs) I am. Because I've been a fan for 50 years. Or close to it. I've traveled from city to city to see him. I bought into that mythology for many years. And I still respect him in many ways as a person and as a performer and as an artist. And so I feel betrayed. But I also don't. I also feel like I saw this coming, folks. And I, this is another one of those Jim, Elton Jim, I told you so's. I've been saying this for years. The DUI situation a couple years ago was a huge, huge example of this. And Bruce Springsteen fans still let it slide. But this one they couldn't, they couldn't, because it cut to the heart of what they were, and the why they were Bruce Springsteen fans. It was the concert, it was the connection of going to see him, and now he was pricing them out of that experience. And in their minds, it wasn't never for Bruce. It's never been about the money. It's always been about the fans. And for the first time, in real terms, they could finally see it. It's been there for a while. They didn't, be, but because it never corrupted the concert experience. But now Bruce's greed or his, his fake mythology finally encroached on what was the most sacred of his career, his relationship with his audience. 
and he betrayed it. He put it in question at the very least. He put it in question. You can argue whether he betrayed it or not. And if you take a step back and you say, hey, he's only doing what others did or he's only getting uh, what the market will, will take, I get that from a business standpoint. But Bruce Springsteen put himself above everyone else. The mythology put him above everyone else. The the personification of 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 righteousness and morality and a friend of presidents and America's rock and roll laureate and the working class hero and the performer that cares about his audience and creates this dialogue and this with his audience members as a community he put himself above his peers he set a higher standard he was like no other he was the ultimate rock star who personified all the good attributes and this moment he proved to be no better and maybe even some worse than all the rest you can't have it both ways you can't set yourself up to be better than everybody else without living by those standards. If those standards are too high, you better lower yourself down. But he's never done that. And this is just another example, and perhaps the most painful example, of how that mythology is just that, a mythology. And his fans are, his diehard fans for the first time, are feeling betrayed, let down, left out. The ones who have been there for him, that gave him a life of luxury, a life of admiration, a life of respect, and a life of accomplishment. Those fans, with this dynamic pricing, and then his lack of effort to stop it or at least explain it himself and let it be, I think has put his most diehard, apologetic fans in a state of confusion and sorrow and loss because it was probably the one thing they really believed in. And Bruce Springsteen finally proved that he is human. I don't know if I'm going to go see him. I really don't. I know I'm not paying $5,000 to see him. This might be the first tour in 40 years I don't see him. And maybe that will be okay. I feel sorry for those other fans that have, have bought into the mythology for so long and, 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 and refuse to see reality. I feel bad, and I saw it coming. I could, on, I could only imagine how they are feeling. Shame on you, Bruce. There is a darkness on the edge of your town.
And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 323. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.